Melody, thank you for that beautiful rendition of victory in Jesus. Our children, our youngest ones, our children's church is now dismissed. Our junior church will stay in here with us. You get to sit through Jeremy's sermon this morning. The final, no, it's not the final, but one of the final sermons in this series on freedom. And we are truly talking about that victory that we have in Jesus. Galatians chapter 5 is where you can open your Bibles this morning. Galatians chapter 5. Let's start reading in verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not let your, do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed. So I say live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, You're under law. You are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and it's joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature and its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying one another. Let's pray over this together. Father, I'm grateful to be uh, together with all these believers who just seek to know your truth. And I pray that as we gather, that your Holy Spirit will guide and lead us this morning. And so I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Liberty can be a tricky thing. Give an inch and they'll take a mile. It's an idiom used uh, in a different form, of course, in the mid-1500s as they hadn't discovered the, the measurement mile until the 1900s, but that idiom give an inch and they'll take. If you just give maybe just a small concession, someone's going to take advantage of you. Today's uh, discussion is important because 
up until now, we've been talking about religious liberty. We've been talking about grace and how we're saved, not by the things we do, but because of God's power, because of what was done on the cross. And so obviously, liberty is going to come up. Religious liberty is going to be a discussion. If I don't have to follow the law, then am I lawless? And throughout the rest of this letter, the last two chapters, Paul addresses, give an inch. The answer is found in the nature and work of the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan writes these somber words. From my perspective, he says, the Holy Spirit is tragically neglected and for all practical purposes, forgotten. While no evangelical would ever deny the Holy Spirit's existence, I'm willing to bet there are millions of churchgoers across America who cannot confidently say that they have experienced the Holy Spirit's presence or that they have experienced the action of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Many of them not only question that, but also many don't believe that they can. So this morning we're going to be exploring the theology of the Holy Spirit and particularly how it's connected to religious liberty. And if you're following along in your notes, here's a couple thoughts I'd like to share with you this morning. Write this down if you'd like to. The Holy Spirit is in fierce conflict with the sinful nature. Something we learn about the Holy Spirit is that it is in fierce conflict with the, Holy, with the sinful nature. And this is a no-brainer, right? Clearly, Paul tells the Galatians in verse 17, he says, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit contrary to that which is sinful. Anyone who has ever dieted understands this conflict, right? Before you sits a box of Girl Scout cookies, Tagalongs maybe, Thin Mints, maybe it's the new s'mores. There's the conflict. Now we have liberty, we have freedom to eat the whole box, right? How many here could eat, could eat a whole box? Of, there we go, we got the Clarks. Me too. Yeah, Charlie's got his hands raised. He's eight years old and he can eat a whole box of Tagalongs. Personally... I could eat a whole box, but I have this conflict, right? There's a piece of me that says, no, Jeremy, that's going to make you sick. They're not that good for you. Maybe just have one or two. There's something in me that's in conflict. And the Holy Spirit is that internal voice that when you're tempted to lust, says, no, that's not respecting that person, nor is it loving yourself or your spouse or God. There's conflict. And so we should be grateful when conflict ensues. That means that you're listening or at least hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit inside of you, speaking truth to your life. 
I love how Paul puts it in, in Romans, right? He says, I find this law at work. I, I want to do good, but evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see this other law at work. And it's waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. I heard a story about a hotel in Galveston, Texas that overlooked the Gulf of Mexico. It faced a, a potential problem. The edge of the hotel hangs over the water, and before the hotel opened, someone thought, what if someone decided to fish out the windows? This person then erected signs saying, don't fish from the hotel windows, which resulted in what you may expect. People fished outside the windows. Rather than preventing the problem, the signs had the opposite effect, simply exposed humankind's rebellious nature. And so, the Holy Spirit is at work when you can hear, when you can listen to the conflict that is ensuing. But Paul goes further to describe the work of the Spirit when he says that we are to crucify the sinful nature. And I want to add that what that does is it allows room, it gives room for the Holy Spirit to work. When you crucify the sinful nature, you're giving room for the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 24 again with me in chapter 5. He said, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. But how in the world do you crucify sinful nature? I mean, earlier in Galatians, Paul specifically says that we have been crucified with Christ. That is something that Christ does. That's something that God does on our behalf. But Paul here is saying that we need to crucify the sinful nature. Through faith, our sinful nature has been put to death. But while we still live and walk here on earth, that sinful nature that's been put to death is still dying. And in this covenant relationship with God, God has crucified the sinful nature, and our job is not to bring it back to life. You see, the Holy Spirit needs room needs room to transform our lives so that it can produce the fruit that we read about in verse 22 and 23, the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That is what it looks like when the Holy Spirit transforms your life. Those are attributes that you can't fake. The Holy Spirit is creating in you. And I think Paul is drawing from Jesus' words in Mark 8. He said he called a crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross. And he says, follow me. I take, for example, the rich young ruler. This young man ran up to Jesus, fell at his feet, and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answered him, 
Well, you know the commandments. And Jesus began to list them off. The rich young man responds, Jesus, I kept all the commands since I was a young boy. And Jesus looked at him and said, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell your possessions and give them to the poor. And then come follow me. Now, a legalistic person in Galatia might respond, there it is. Sign me up. That's what I got to do to follow Jesus. That's what I got to do to inherit eternal life. I must sell all my possessions. But that's not what Jesus is saying to this person. Because that person's focused on the wrong words. Jesus said, there is one thing you lack. And he's asking that man to crucify it. What we need to look at is not just selling our possessions, maybe, but what is the one thing you lack? What is keeping the Holy Spirit from taking over your life? Now, if it's money, yeah, sell it, crucify it. But maybe it's just your possessions, crucify. Maybe it's a game, an online game that you play with your buddies. It's keeping time. Not crucify it. Maybe it's your phone. Uh-oh, I'm stepping on toes. Crucify it. What is keeping the Holy Spirit from taking over your life? Make room for the Holy Spirit. And then finally, I love these words. One of my favorite passages in all of the Bible to walk with the Holy Spirit. And I I know this is difficult, maybe even for some of our young folks. I mean, I'm talking about crucifying or killing off something I can't see. I'm talking about walking with the Holy Spirit. You can't see the Spirit. It's not tangible, right? But I just love this idea of walking with the Spirit, of keeping in step with the Spirit. Literally, the passage in the Greek says that you're keeping in line with the Spirit. And, and when I hear that phrase, I picture maybe a fitness class. The instructor in the, the front of the class leading them in exercise. And I don't know if you have ever watched something like that happen or have participated. I have participated once, and it was the most awkward thing you would ever see in your life. Why? Because I don't know what that fitness instructor is going to do next. Everyone else in the class seems to know, but I don't. And so I'm learning. And then maybe if I would have gone the second time, maybe I would have learned a little bit more because I'm keeping in line with the instructor. And I feel like that's kind of like what it means to be a Christian. Maybe you're a little timid at first, maybe a little self-conscious, but you know what, after a while... As you keep in step with the instructor, you become a little bit more like the instructor. Love, joy, peace, patience. Maybe a little bit more kind, gentle, more self-control. The only way to walk with the Spirit confidently is to listen, learn, and grow. Paul says in Romans, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Jack Hanley wrote these words. 
There used to be this bully who would demand lunch money from me every day. And since I was smaller, I gave it to him. But then one day I decided I'm going to fight back. And so I started taking karate lessons. But then the guy teaching the karate lessons told me I had to start paying him $5 per lesson. So I decided to go back to paying the bully. I think we've got a choice in this matter, and I think that's exactly what Paul is telling us. You're either going to choose to be a slave to sin and to give in to the sinful desires and to fill your life with that, that kind of thing, or you're going to be a slave to God and the Holy Spirit. The question is, which one works? Look at those lists again. There's hatred and discord and jealousy, selfish ambition. Does that, does that even work? I want to be part of a community that is full of love and joy and peace and self-control and gentleness and kindness. That's the kind of community that I think I want to be part of. And if I want to be part of that kind of community, just on a practical level, it means to walk with the Spirit. As we move into our time of communion this morning, we're going to be singing a song that connects to today's conversation. And the lyrics go something like this. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Our young people, do you know what it means to bind, to sticky, put a sticky on it, right? I want to bind, I want to be connected, my heart with God's goodness. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, and the song goes, here's my heart. Take and seal it for thy courts above. Do you want to feel and to experience and to see the work of the Holy Spirit? If so, heed these words. And you're going to see supernatural love. You're going to see supernatural kindness. You're going to see supernatural goodness. Not only is that going to draw people to Jesus Christ, but that sure is going to make your life a lot more pleasing and perfect in his sight. The invitation this morning it's for you to allow God's grace to bind your heart to him. Abandon what's pulling you away. Abandon what is filling up the room. And allow space for the Holy Spirit to take over. Listen, learn, let's keep in step. Father God, we come this morning with grateful hearts for a body that was broken blood that was shed 
that we might experience the new life in your Holy Spirit. And I hear the call that you have on all of our hearts that we abandon, that we crucify that which keeps us from allowing room for you to work. Take over our lives. Here is our heart, Lord. Seal it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.